Welcome to the, the last normal large group of the semester. Um, if you've been with us, you know we're closing out our series on the Gospel of Mark. And to do that, uh, I'm going to read Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. Uh, Mark 16, 1 to 8. We're looking at the resurrection and thinking about why, why does it matter? How does it matter for you and for me? But let's read our passage first. Mark 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought uh, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let me pray for us, and we'll dive into this text together tonight. Let's pray first. Our Lord, we do. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways in which it um, points us to you. We thank you for the ways it records um, massive moments like uh, the resurrection that we might have historical, factual truths to hang our faith and our identities and our lives on. And Lord, I pray that you would, by the work of your spirit, show us uh, the beauty and the wonder of your resurrection, Lord. That you would show us what it means uh, for us to have a redeemer who lives and who even now, as I'm praying, as we're praying, Lord, that you are the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Lord, I pray that you would um, do that work in us tonight. Uh, Give us the words that we need to hear. Give us the comfort that we need. Give us the courage and the challenge that we need. Give us the conviction that we need. Would you do all these things and more in our midst? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Uh, I love Christmas. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. I think Thanksgiving is underrated, mostly because I love food. But Christmas is that time of season that's just magical. And the question is, what, what was your favorite gift that you've ever gotten? For me, it's pretty clear. I was 10 years old. I had gotten my first stereo. I just, my parents went all out. My parents were the parents that like laid everything out for Christmas. I don't know what your Christmas mornings were like. Uh, my wife's a big believer in wrapping everything, which I'm like, we don't even do that. Just lay it all out for them to see it all at once. But I lose that battle. Um, but everything was laid out. It was beautiful. It was amazing. I was already so like blown away by my parents' generosity, or I guess by Santa's generosity. You know what I mean. And I reach into my stocking and pull tickets to two things. One, to go to Disney World, which we had never been before. Or maybe I went when I was like three, but that doesn't count. And the other, I was a huge, grew up a huge Clemson fan. Sorry. And the other were uh, tickets to go see Clemson play Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. And I was just like, blessings upon blessings. What I love about this text and thinking about the resurrection 
is I don't know what, you've, what your favorite gift was. I don't know what you've asked for for Christmas this year. But this is the gift that we need. It's the gift of seeing how the resurrection applies to you and me. And it's a gift that gives us, it's really three gifts wrapped in one. Because here's what the resurrection means, and I'm going to steal from Tim Keller to say it because I can't say it better. The resurrection of Jesus for his people means three things. It means, number one, all your bad things will work for good. Number two, all your truly good things will last forever. And number three, all your best things are yet to come. All your bad things will work for good. All your truly good things will last forever. And all your best things are yet to come. Let's take them one by one together tonight. So first, all your bad things will work for good. I think sometimes it's easy for us who know the full story to put ourselves in the disciples and to put ourselves in Mary's, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome's shoes to just the devastation of the death of Jesus. Like they were devastated. This Messiah that they loved died this horrible death. And they thought it's over. So imagine their, I love the way that Mark describes it, their trembling and astonishment to learn that he was risen. To learn that it wasn't over. Resurrection hope means, resurrection hope means the Lord really can and does take horrible things and do something beautiful with them. Resurrection hope means the Lord really can and does take horrible things and do something really beautiful with them. I was just with a friend a couple of weeks ago, and he's, uh, he was just being, he had had, so he struggles with epilepsy. And uh, he had it when he was a, a kid, and it had gone away for about 10 years, but then this last year it's come back with a vengeance. And so he had an episode, he was actually in church, thankfully with friends, he had an episode, he had a seizure in church, and it meant that this new job that he started was going to be put on pause for him to go home to figure out what's really going on, to see if there's more that they can do, to figure out both either how to care for his own epilepsy, or if there's something else at play. And as we're having coffee, he just was being really honest, and he said this, he said, Sammy, I don't see how the Lord can possibly use my epilepsy. He's like, I don't see A, why, and B, how in the world could he possibly use this for anything good? And on top of that, what in the world am I going to do going back to work at Chick-fil-A for the next six months as I just started my career? Like, I don't, how do I make sense of this? And it felt like in this really tender moment as I was like praying for words, the Lord just really, I think this is true. I was able to gently say to him, or we got to say together I bet in six months we're going to have coffee again and there's going to be something about how the Lord met you in a surprising way. It doesn't mean it's not really sad. It doesn't mean it's not really hard. And it doesn't mean that the Lord can't do something really beautiful in it. Um, And part of where that happens for you and me is when we show up in emotional honesty with the Lord. I had a moment, it felt like a gift to me uh, just the other week, where to be honest with you, I was in a really bad spot. Uh, it's something I've really have been wrestling with the Lord about. And I feel like I don't normally, just to let you in a little bit, I'm not normally good at I can preach all day long. I love the Psalms. The Psalms give us words and freedom to take our sadness and anger and frustration and confusion to the Lord. But in the sweet moment with the Lord, I really was able to give him my anger. I mean, I, I really 
gave the Lord my anger. And I believe he can handle it. But it felt weird because I'd not really done it before. And can I tell you, the Lord not only I think is big enough to handle you and me at our worst, but he really shows up in kind in merciful ways as we bring that to him. It reminds me of Job. Do you remember the Job 19? Job in that staggering amount of suffering where he literally says this, just, just roll with me. He says, my breath is strange. And he says, my breath is, my breath is gross to my wife. And I am a stench to the children of my mother or my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those who I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O oh my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. And then here's, here's the turn. Here's what he's, he's pouring out his emotional honesty. And here's the turn. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself And my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. Here's the way I've been thinking about it all day. I think we're good at saying, I know my Redeemer died for me. I don't know that we're as good at saying with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. Meaning, I know that in all of of my bad things, all of my hard things that he and he alone can and will do something with them. Do you know that your Redeemer didn't just die for you? Do you know that your Redeemer lives and that you and I can trust him with all the hard things and you and I can trust him with all the sad things and you and I can trust him with all the things we're confused about and discouraged about and down about and, and, and depressed and anxious about? We really can trust our Redeemer who lives Because the promise of the resurrection is that there is really a day coming where we will see him in our flesh. And he really will wipe away our tears in his glorious presence. And not only that, he will also in that moment deliver you and me from all the brokenness that we've experienced and done. Think about that with me for a second. What do you long to be delivered from? Maybe it's these running, hiding, being fearful of being found out, cynicism, gossip, broken relationships through divorce, death, abuse, betrayal, heartbreak, disappointment, anxiety, fear, insecurity, feeling unaccepted, porn, lust. Eating issues, body image issues, guilt, shame. Can I tell you how incredible, not only will it be to see how the Lord uses even our own sin for good, but to be in his presence and be freed of shame. Can you imagine? To be in his presence and to be like Adam and Eve before the fall, naked and unashamed, 
I love that the way the hymn says it. I know that my Redeemer lives. It says it like this. I know that my Redeemer lives. What comfort this sweet sentence gives. He lives, he lives, who was once dead. He lives, my everlasting head. He lives, my kind, wise, heavenly friend. He lives and loves me to the end. He lives, and while he lives, I'll sing. He lives, my prophet, priest, and king. All your bad things will work for good. But then, two, all your truly good things will last forever. And here's the simple way I want to say it from this text. The the disciples and the Marys and Salome were sad and scared because they thought they'd lost Jesus. They thought they had lost this man forever. And then they get him back, literally from the dead. The same Jesus, but glorified, risen. Let me say it like this. It wasn't Jesus 2.0. It wasn't, if you're a Marvel person, it wasn't Jesus from from the multiverse. It wasn't Mises, this new and better Jesus. It was the risen Jesus with scars on his hands and the same voice on his lips that got him back. Resurrection hope, here's the thing. Resurrection hope means all of the truly good things of this world are going to last forever. Resurrection hope means all of the truly good things of this world are going to last forever. Forever. I love the way different people say it. Let me, do, let me try it like this. The first is uh, Vinoth Ramachandra. He says it like this. He's talking about the scope of salvation, the scope of resurrection hope. He says, so our salvation lies not in an escape from this world, but in the transformation of this world. You will not find hope for the world in any religious systems or philosophies of humankind. The biblical vision is unique. That is why when someone says that there is salvation in other faiths. And I asked them, what salvation are you talking about? No faith holds out a promise of eternal salvation for the world the way the cross and resurrection of Jesus do. I love the way that, you know, Brian Habig says it. He says it like this. The Lord is making all things new, not making all new things. I love the way he says it. He says, oh, it's like we show up in the new heavens and the new earth. And the Lord is like, oh, you really like birds? Let me introduce you to these entirely new things called turds. You're tracking. Oh, you really like movies? Let me introduce you to these things called shoovies, stoovies. I don't know. Like, it's not like the things that we really love here. This is why part of us, I think, freak out about heaven, is we can't imagine this world but redeemed. We can't imagine the goodness of this world redeemed. I love the way the N.T. Wright says it. Here's how he nails it. He says it like this, and this is in your handout. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. It's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Um, This is why I love the stories from Martin Luther. He was once asked, all right, if you knew that the world was ending tomorrow, what would you do? And I think, I don't know how you grew up. I think a lot, like I grew up in a faith that would have said, you've got to go tell as many people about Jesus as possible. Not a bad thing, but I love Luther's answer. He said, I would plant an apple tree. And he's trying to name the way in which all the truly good things will last forever. Here's what this means. This means that what you're learning matters. 
It means school matters. For some of you, that's great news. For some of you, you're like, oh, don't, don't need that reminder. Sorry. It means loving, deep friendship matters. It means serving the poor matters. It means laughing with your friends matters. It means your personality and your gifts matter. It means learning to do life with God's people, even the ones you don't like, matters. It means enjoying animals, hiking in nature. Mm. (laughs) Two things that aren't my faves. Binging movies, TV shows. It means enjoying a good book, a great movie, a moving opera, a delicious meal matters. When I was starting in seminary, again, my background was not at all reformed. And so I didn't have, like, I had an overly spiritual view of life, if that makes sense. Some of you can relate. I'll never forget meeting this guy. Harris Bond was his name. He was, like, my introduction to the Reformed faith. He was my roommate for a semester. I'll never forget for the first time me and Harrison and a couple guys went and grabbed wings. And uh, Harrison, I guess we were still, like, sometimes in RUF you've experienced this. We just say, are you thankful? Because Jesus says, don't practice your righteousness before men. doesn't mean you can't say the blessing in public. We could debate it. But he, he was asked to say the blessing and I'll never forget it. Here's what he prayed. He just said, Lord, we thank you for wings. I was like, mm, is that right? And I was like, it is right. Lord, we thank you for wings. We thank you for hot dogs. Can we thank you for hot dogs? Yes, we can. For pizza? Absolutely. For salad? Eh. Um, but it's an earthly spirituality because the resurrection means all of the truly good things are going to last forever. It means that the Lord is not making all new things. He's making all things new. That includes, thank God, you and me, but it includes the beautiful world that we live in. That's the way I love it, the way that G.K. Chesterton says it. He says it like this. You say grace before meals, all right? But I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching Painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Resurrection means all your bad things will work for good. It means all your truly good things will last forever. And the last thing it means is all your best things are yet to come. And this is the best way I can say it. The disciples, both Marys and Salome, are experiencing this even as I speak. They're experiencing what it's like, what we're holding by faith, they're experiencing by sight. What it's like to be in the presence of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Resurrection hope means that all that I've seen and all that you and I have experienced does not mean that that's all that there is or will be. Resurrection hope means that all that we've seen and all that we've experienced does not mean that that's all that there will be because the Lord is bigger than that and there are yet blessings untold. This is the tension. It's the tension of this world really matters and this world isn't all that there is that there is a hidden reality 
that will be in Christ, yours and mine. Um, I'm going to try to do it this way. So, gosh, seven years ago, my family took a road trip to see my sister in California. We did the northern route there. And when I tell you, I'd never been out of the south, really. Like, I'd been to Jamaica on a honeymoon. That was cool. I'd been to Peru. Also cool. But I'd never seen, like, the Midwest or West. And we're driving in North Dakota, South Dakota. My wife can tell me. And, like, we are in this big rainstorm, and we decide on a whim we're going to go see the Badlands. If you, I don't know if you know what the Badlands are, but they're this, it's hard to describe, just this, like, almost desolate wasteland with all of this sort of rocky formation that, to me, was just stunning. And it makes sense to me. If you know the life of Theodore Roosevelt, it's his park, I believe. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> then you know. We're good. We're wrapping up soon. <clears throat> then, you, then you know that when he lost his wife and mom on the same night, part of his healing was found in the Dakotas. That's why he loved the Dakotas so much. And he has a quote about the Badlands. He says, I grow very fond of this place. And it certainly has a desolate, grim beauty of its own that has a curious fascination for me. For me, it was the wonder of beholding Something I couldn't even imagine. Like I grew up going to Polly's Island, which is beautiful, where I proposed. But I didn't have a vision for something like the Badlands. That's something like what the resurrection gives to us. That where we're going with Jesus, the way that Paul says it, no eye can see, no ear can hear, no mind can imagine. This means, let me try it this way. This means you really can trust, some of you need to hear this. You really can trust the Lord with your life and your dreams. They matter. And he might have different, better plans and dreams for you that he will gently show you in due time. I'll close with this. One of my favorite scenes in all of Narnia is the end of the last battle that describes all our best things are yet to come. And I'm just going to read it for us. Here's how Lewis talks about it. It's, it's Aslan leading, uh, leading the people and the creatures into the new Narnia. And here's how Lewis closes the last battle. i got one more cough. Hold on. <coughs> Gross. <coughs> Here we go. Here we go. Here's what he writes. It is as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out in a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass or mirror. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again, in the looking glass. In the sea in the mirror, or the valley in the mirror, were in one sense just the same as the real ones. Yet at the same time, they were somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story. In a story you have never heard, but very much want to know. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country, Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. 
If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. And it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed. And then he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. And the reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. (laughs) Bree hee hee. (laughs) Come further up. Come further in. Come further up. Come further in. That's the invitation of the resurrection. Can I say it like this? Come further up, come further in. Your bad things, he's going to work for good. We don't always know how. Come further up, come further in. Your truly good things are going to last forever. Come further up, come further in to the resurrection of your Lord. Your best things are yet to come. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we can, so many of us can say, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, I thank you for friends that help us believe. I thank you for this place and these people. Lord, I pray that as we um, go from this place, get into our weeks, Lord, that you would uh, fix our eyes on you, that you would fix our eyes on uh, who it is that you are to us, our Redeemer who lives and loves us to the end and is inviting us yet more and more into what your resurrection means for us. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. I'll stand and sing our last song.